Hey there, Nick Duncan from Bleeper here. For this show, I sat down with Tim Mode, an expert in user experience who lives just north of Sydney, Australia. We discussed the entire UX process. Observation might be uh, using like a, a screen recording service or heat maps or anything like that to see what is working and what isn't working and what your customers are really looking for on your site. Various misconceptions about user experience in the market. There's been times where people have said, oh, we, you know, make the make the UX nice or we have the latest UX. Um, and that's just really not what user experience is. It's, it's so much more ingrained in research and the user. How to use UX as a founder and various mistakes that founders make when using or thinking about using UX to help their business grow. Um, I guess starting off, the biggest takeaway is that no matter what mistakes you've made, it's definitely not too late. Um, as we've just established, UX should always be going on. So you can fix that now and you can learn more now. After Tim's experiences with startups and realizing how products were falling apart due to lack of UX, Tim decided to start the proto process in order to better inform potential UX practitioners, startups, founders, and anyone that sees the value in UX. Tim's main focus is to help people structure the UX process through online courses and online mentoring. Now, without further ado, let's get started with the show. You're listening to the Bleeper Podcast. Bleeper, a customer communication tool specifically designed for small business. Find out more on bleeper.io. Hey, Tim. Thank you for joining us. I've been following you a while on Twitter, and I've noticed that you have a ton of experience in the UX field. So we're really excited to have you on the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and career? Yeah. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'd love to tell you a bit about my background. Uh, Ultimately, I am a bootstrap entrepreneur and human-centered designer. Um, I come from a background of working in primarily design, but also branding and marketing and most of all UX. Um, I decided quite early on that (laughs) nine to five wasn't really for me. Um, and moved into working for startups and my own business, the proto process. But before all that, I was really, yeah, quite deeply (laughs) ingrained in the digital agency I was working at, doing custom builds and digital marketing and things like that. So, yeah, from there I decided just to kind of quit my job and start afresh and start my own business. Um, And to fund that alongside, I started working with adults with disabilities um, and I worked to provide strategies to allow individuals to live as independently as possible. So that's where kind of the human-centered design aspect of my day-to-day comes in. Um, But now most of my time is spent on my business, the proto process, where we help people pursue purpose-driven careers and create positive change through user experience design. Okay, very nice. Thank you very much. And can you tell our listeners a little bit, you know, what, what exactly is UX and how does understanding it and practicing it make for a better founder? <laughs> yeah, so this is the, the loaded question, really. What, <laughs> what is UX? But um, it, it's a big field. It's, it's really quite extensive. But ultimately, I think user experience is an approach to design and business that ultimately puts the user at the center of everything a business does. It's a process or a series of steps that's taken to better identify a problem and its appropriate solution. 
and pretty much everything that goes into a product. Um, generally speaking, user experience is specific to digital products with service design or human-centered design, um, taking on physical locations or physical experiences or one-on-one -on -one personal experiences. Um, but everything pretty much falls under the human-centered design umbrella. Uh, the, the beauty of user experience design is that most founders are probably already doing at least a very small part of it. It's so ingrained in business that once you learn more about it, you see a lot of similarities coming to light. So from our past conversations, Nick, you've talked about how you've struggled with um, Bleeper being user-oriented enough, but yes. your product is such a powerful tool in and of itself for, for communicating uh, with your customer base so directly that that's really quite a strong user experience practice already. Um, most people kind of already have a few pieces of the puzzle and that's because user experience is really where business and design and people all come together um, at a crossroads and it's all about being able to execute in a way that really, really, really reflects on what your users need, what they want and understanding what's working for them. It's not about you. It's it's so free of arrogance that it's um, really quite a fun field. Um, the other really good positive about user experience design is it's not just about um, what, what should happen, but it's also about what's feasible and what's possible with budget and timeline. It's not all about, you know, what you should be doing. You need to execute this, this and this. Uh, it's about being able to be aware that you can't do everything at once and that's okay, but this is what we can do and this is going to have the most impact on our users from the get-go. UX can make a better founder simply because of the enormous edge that it gives you and your product and business. It's effectively like a, a key to the kingdom of your users. You get to learn what they want and what they need and their motivations and then you get to ensure that you're addressing each of these concerns in a way that works. So it doesn't really take Elon Musk to figure out how big of an impact that can have on a product. Um, not only that, but it's so much more appealing to investors if you're able to demonstrate mm. that you can use the information to prove the value of your product to uh, demonstrate a market need, um, to be able to show that you've minimized as much risk as possible in your product before moving forward. I mean, that's not ultimately what business is about. I hate the term of de-risking as this yes. big theme, but um, it is a huge result that good user experience has on your product. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty, pretty much it. I mean, <laughs> looking at kind of better founders, the, I'm sure everyone's aware of a couple of, you know, really, really shocking products that no one really <laughs> understands how it made it to launch. Um, but yeah. Look, you know, I've, I've actually, I, I can attest to that because, um, you know, one of my, one of my first products, one of my first WordPress products, um, that we started, well, I started a few years ago. Um, you know, if I ever look back now at, at version one and, uh, you know, I still got a screenshot of some of the, the, the backend, um, features, you know, I look at that and I think, how, how did that even make it? 
you know, how did people even, <laughs> how did people even actually use this? Because it's absolutely horrendous. But, you know, if I think back and I, and I, and, and I actually think about it quite nicely, you know, when, when I launched that and, um, I just almost sort of gained traction because it was sort of self-marketed in, in the WordPress space. And, uh, I think what really set it apart is the fact that I really got, I really got stuck in to the, to the user. You know, as soon as someone would email, I'd, mm. I'd get involved. I'd ask them questions. I'd be like, what are you, what are you using this for? How are you using it? How can I make it better? And, you know, I, I sort of forget that with every other startup that I, that I create. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful things that you can do is just really get stuck in to understanding your user. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, if, again, if I, if I look back, I just don't know how just looking at the product, it was absolutely horrible. But at the end of the day, I think, <laughs> I think understanding the, the customer better really helped it and helped grow that product to where it is today. And also, you know, shape the product as well. It looks mm. a lot better today than it did. Um, but yeah, that all came back from, from user feedback. So I, f I fully understand what you're saying. Yeah. And it's amazing how, how much, um, like how efficient the progress is once you're talking to users and once you have a product to kind of build upon, yes. um, like the changes that you can make are so, um, kind of like on the go, at least as you know, in, in the startup phase of, of a product, um, you can really just take the time to take that user feedback straight away on board and, um, fix anything that's a glaring, obviously, like a, a glaring problem. Yes. Um, obviously, for the bigger issues, you'd, you'd want to wait for kind of a theme of feedback to pick up um, before making any major changes. But if it's even something as simple as a usability issue, you, you can get on that straight away, which is really positive. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, what are some of the misconceptions that entrepreneurs have about UX that, that you found? Um, going into the, the startup space myself, I, I, um, having worked at the digital agency, when I first got employed, uh, the role really wasn't what I was expecting it to be. So that there was a kind of a few misconceptions that came to light then. Uh, and then I co-founded a startup after that point, And it was very clear that to my other co-founders, my responsibilities were not really what we thought they both were. Um, so I think the biggest misconception about UX is that UX and UI are the same thing. So um, UI is user interface design and obviously UX is user experience. Um, basically, user interface design is the creation of all the touch points for the user. So for, for a product, it could be, you know, basically the front end, what they touch, what they click through, how they use it. Um, and that can be from a, you know, customer perspective or a back-end perspective or any interface, anything that people interact with. And that's more deeply ingrained in visual design. Um, so you'll be working in, you know, wireframes and sketch yeah. and um, creating prototypes in Azure and things like that or Envision. Um, so that's really quite its own discipline. Um, user interface is a, is a great discipline and it's really quite an important part of the user experience process because they, they definitely work with each other. Okay. Um, but 
there's been times where people have said, oh, we, you know, make the, make the UX nice or we have the latest UX. Um, and that's just really not what user experience is. It's, it's so much more ingrained in research and the user um, instead of the visuals. So that's um, a big point. Fortunately, I come from a background in visual design. So that was, funnily enough, one of my responsibilities and the UX was the newer field to me. But, um, yeah. The other thing that is really big, as we've kind of already discussed a little bit, is how ingrained user experience is in uh, product vision and direct direction and a business. So being able to be a co-founder as a UXer was really positive because I was already at kind of that level where I had equal say. Okay. But a lot of user experience designers that are being employed by your audience, Nick, may not be in a role where they can kind of have that level of influence straight away, but their work does have an immense level of influence on a product or business. So um, I guess a shift for founders to look at user experience professionals, not just as kind of the person whipping up the graphics, um, but more as somebody that's really going to have a big impact on the direction and um, the offering of a product. So that's uh, quite a <laughs> quite okay. a big shift for a lot of people I know. Um, funnily enough, it, it's a big shift that's happening at, at larger corporate levels as well for kind of the first time in a long time, user experience professionals or design professionals are being recognised at a you know senior executive level and having quite a large say on business because... Okay by having uh, research-informed or user-informed direction, companies are able to be a lot more effective, even at a large scale. So that's that's a very big thing. Um, another misconception, I suppose, is that UX is a role and not a discipline. So as we talked about before, UX is a huge, huge field. You've got yes. multiple disciplines within it. You know, you've got um, your back-end development, your front-end development, your user research, your experience mapping, your um, usability testing, your visual design, your UI design. Um, and it can really get quite granular and you can have experts in a lot of areas um but your ux designer is not going to be able to do everything we call it um ux unicorns in the industry so basically a, a UXer that can do everything they can code they can design they can research they can do the whole gamut um <laughs> of ux skills but they really just don't exist um myself included but um yeah, and I know that that's a quite a tricky one for founders. It's a, it's quite a tricky one for me, uh, um, and uh, based off our conversations as well, uh, quite a tricky one for you, the founder's dilemma of wanting to do right. everything um, and trying to do everything and just not being able to. Right. So uh, as, as a UXer, I kind of see these fringe skills that I could have, and it's very tempting to pursue them, but... Um, it's just not really feasible and that's that's another key part of um, UX. But, yeah, that being aware that you may need one or two UXs on a team or um, quite a good front-end developer that has excellent user experience practice. Um, it's also fair to expect that a UXR 
has decent knowledge of working with your developers, that's an okay thing. That's completely fine. That's about how they communicate, how they do their job, how they hand over files, how they um, handle the development process where UX and UI and development all kind of interconnect. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, yeah, a very fair expectation. But um, really, (laughs) that's, that's quite a hard thing to grasp. Okay, great. You know, the, the extent of our UX at Bleeper right now is, is, you know, simply creating wireframes, you know, monitoring the onboarding process, making adjustments here and there, as well as short interviews here and there with our customers. Um, so we're lacking, obviously, quite a lot. You know, in, in general, though, what is a UX process supposed to look like? Mm. <laughs> got a load of questions for me today, Nick. Um, the, the UX process really quite dramatically changes um, from process to process, but it, it's ultimately uh, grounded in a process called design thinking. Um, design thinking is used by a lot of practitioners in, in business, in traditional design, in UX, in um, kind of all sorts of fields and it it's the most stripped back version is broken down into about five steps okay so uh, generally within the UX process you'd start with your your research or your empathizing stage and during this stage you you go deep into learning everything you can about the problem you're trying to address. So that's probably the real start point is having a problem. Your problem is the the cornerstone of your UX process. You've got to find something that you think is going wrong um, that, I mean, generally your product is trying to address. Okay. Uh, so for, for you, Nick, example, for example, I'd say it's... Um, you know, rapid communication with your customer and answering their questions as they pop up. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. pretty much correct. And to reach them wherever they, wherever they are. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, so that, that would be your, your starting point. And then after that, you would conduct interviews with your customers. You'd conduct surveys. You'd have conversations with them. You would um, observe them. If you've got an active problem, uh, sorry, active product observation might be uh, using like a, a screen recording service or heat maps or anything like that to see what is working and what isn't working and what your customers are really looking for on your site. Um, and this can be beneficial outside of interviews and surveys because uh, what customers say and what they do uh, often often isn't the same thing. That's right. Um, and you may not pick up on those things when they're not you know, natively doing it or um, using your site from a candid perspective. Um, quantitative research really has a big place as well. All your information in, you know, Google Analytics, even from your social media accounts to get insight into who your user base is um, can be very valuable. If it's been a long-term product, you'll have things like um, customer service records or questions or complaints or uh, positive feedback, and you can go through all of that as well. Um, generally, during this phase, you'll start compiling and analysing all this information as well and <laughs> start building up something called personas, which are representative of your different kind of customer groups. Um, and 
you'll go into the process of kind of mapping. It's called user, the, the user empathy canvas or uh, empathy mapping. They're very similar processes, okay. but tracking down kind of your customers' needs, their pains, their motivations, um, and their desired end, end goal or end outcome. So that's, that's a process that's quite common in business as well. Um, the, the user empathy canvas plugs very closely into the business model canvas by strategizer which i know is very common in um business circles so um that's a, a good kind of point where entrepreneurs can link into this process quite early on okay um yeah this step's also about looking at ways where you can avoid recreating the wheel so you'll look at um, kind of your competitors, you'll do a competitive analysis and look at uh, others already addressing this problem, are there ways I can do it better, how, um, et cetera. And part of your interviews and surveys might be interviewing customers of other products um, to understand what they're going through and, and kind of getting a clear idea of who your customer is. Okay. Um, so that, that's very big at that phase. Uh, from there, you kind of go on to the, the ideation or, or defining stage. So at this point, it's largely brainstorming. Um, you get out pretty much all your ideas, every possible solution, all the likely solutions, all the unlikely solutions. Um, and you kind of just go along with, with anything that comes to mind. And, and this step... When, I, when you present it like this, it's hard not to uh, show it as, you know, you do this, then you do this, then you do yes. this. But it's all very, very much at the same time. Like while you're um, talking to people, often, I don't know, personally at least, uh, ideas kind of just come to mind like, oh, we could do this or oh, we yes. could solve this or um, maybe if we tried this, that would help with that or whatever. So you, you go through each stage um often at the same time, you jump between them. It's all very fluid. It's, it's not really um, a set solid process. And I guess that's why it changes so much between uh, different products as well. But um, that's definitely a big part of it. So at, at the ideation and define stage, that's where you start doing your wireframes and mapping out potential ideas for, for how you can solve something. And um, I mean, it can be quite a difficult stage because you might come to the realisation that your original product isn't needed or that it sucks and completely change it. I mean, personally, I know that I did from for my business and, and past businesses. So it's um, really quite an enlightening phase, but also very confronting. <laughs> um, so it, it's, yeah, it, it's good. Uh, from there, once you've got kind of, Everybody involved, everybody needs to be involved in, okay. in the idea stage and the define stage. That That's a really big thing because like we just talked about, if you're having such a massive change to the product um, and the rest of your team kind of gets blindsided and doesn't have the knowledge of why this is happening um, or, or uh, kind of what they're meant to do now, mm. um, it causes a lot of disconnect and a, a real rift within a business so it's very important to have as many people across this process as possible um, not only from that perspective but also because everybody has their own unique perspective to contribute 
to the ideation phase. They have their own experiences, um, and this might be from more of a feasibility perspective or um, a timeline perspective of yeah what what they can do and what they can't. So that's yeah a very important step as well. Uh, from there, once you are happy with you know maybe one or two solutions, you will kind of map out a basic user flow of the, the different steps that people will take it or this is another field of UX is information architecture. So basically how your your product will look via a map or the, the flows that people will go through when using it. Um, and this helps to make sure that you basically have all the screens you need to um, ensure that basically every all the information you needed included is there. Um, this will change a lot and generally when you're going through your first prototype, you want to get it as quick and dirty as possible. So you might just map out the core functionalities at first and then expand upon that for, for later prototypes. Um, so we call this this phase kind of the low fidelity prototype phase. Okay. And it can be as simple as um, there's, a, there's an app called uh, Marvel Paper um, and it's a prototyping app and you can literally you know, draw on a piece of paper, mm. a user interface for a mobile device, take a picture of each frame and then kind of link the buttons up between the pages. And that's enough for your user to be able to get an idea of, you know, what, what the app does, what its function is, um, and can they use it. Um, and that's that's quite a valuable step to get a lot of feedback. So, um Prototyping is kind of the first phase in that, and then it, it very, very quickly turns into the testing phase or the user testing phase. Okay. Um, and in that phase, you examine, you know, what works, what doesn't, why doesn't it work, um, and then you kind of just keep going through it. And even during this phase, it's a, it's a lot of intermingling between prototyping and testing and I mean, even really during the test phase, all the steps come into play because if something's not working, you've got to research why. So that goes back to your first step. Um, if you find something's not working, you need to think of what you can do instead <clears throat> and use your research to find out, you know, how, how can we fix this? Um, and then you will re-prototype or fix that aspect of it and test again. So a lot of the process comes into play. It's really um, all very mushed together. And it's not a formal thing, especially at the, the testing phase, because you, like, you're not going to probably sit down and go through, you know, user interviews and surveys and all that for one bug that comes up. You just prototype that. You just fix it, you know, if, if it's an obvious problem. Um, but if there's a, a larger issue where people just don't get it, they don't want to use it, um, they find it unpleasant, um, then you'd go fairly more heavily into the ideation phase and, and look at how you can uh, address that problem better. What's another solution that would work better? Um, did you foresee this happening? Um, what, what can you do instead? And then prototype that again. <laughs> and <laughs> as you go on and on, it gets more and more refined and you might work into uh, kind of a higher level or more exact um, prototyping phase called the high fidelity phase. And between those two phases, that's when your user interface design happens. That's when uh, 
you build your interface in Sketch, you you try it all out, and then you'll prototype it in kind of your preferred program. You can do it in Envision, Envision Studio. Um, Sketch has a prototyping tool now. Azure uses it a lot. Okay. Um, and that high fidelity prototype should eventually get to the point where it's going to have everything in it that your pro end product will have. It may be a little clunky or all the text and images might not be there, but ultimately it should pretty much be your finished product. Um, so that that's kind of the final stage of the prototyping. Um, and then you just test, test again, test again till you get to that point and eventually launch. Um, so this is yeah the, the thing about the launch step is it's a hard one for me and it's, this is probably going back to the misconceptions we were talking about earlier. But at, once you launch a product, a lot of people think that's when the user experience ends um, because of this big process you've gone through to, to get it live. But it doesn't. It, the process really just changes, um, and that's that's another thing about how you know it, it changes from from case to case. But once you've launched your product, you'll be, you know, gathering all that information again. You would be doing the empathizing stage. You'll be um, looking at surveys. You'll be doing questionnaires. You'll be having conversations with your customers. You'll be getting feedback. Um, ideally, you will talk to a few users. You'll pull them aside or have a video chat um, and just talk about what's working, what were they looking for, how's it going, basically everything you did for your competitors' users, but now you're doing it for your product. Um, because early on, you're going to have uh, a very different approach to this phase because you'll already have your assumptions around what your product is. Once you've actually got a product and you know for sure what it is, yes. then the, the research and empathizing stage has a very different outcome. So that's uh, quite an important thing as well. Basically, you use that then to identify the problems again that you have and go through the ideation, prototyping a solution, testing it out and all that over and over again um, and gradually build up your product and make it better and better for your users based on, on what they need. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Tim. And, uh, you know, in this entire process, I mean, what, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see businesses make all the time? Mm -hmm. um, it is, yeah, fraud. And uh, I definitely make a lot of mistakes myself. Um, I guess starting off, the biggest takeaway is that no matter what mistakes you've made, it's definitely not too late. Um, as we've just established, UX should always be going on. So you can fix that now and you can learn more now. Yes. Um, but yeah, that, that's really the main, the main thing, I guess the biggest and most common mistakes with, with UX, I think it's probably pride funnily enough. Okay. Um, I think founders and developers are very prideful that they like to think that they know their customer. They know what people need. Often they feel they are the customer. So yes. they know what they're talking about. They, they don't need kind of the research phase. They, they may feel they're very empathetic uh, so they can 
um, just just basically know or understand. Something I've heard a couple of developers or or founders say is, you know, oh, well, we just make it right the first time. And I, I ask back to that, you know, well, right according to who? Like your your vision of this? Like, yes, you've built it, but how do you know whether it's working or not if you're not doing UX? Mm. There's really no insight around that. So that that's a very very common thing um a lot of people just want to kind of get something to launch as fast as possible so they'll they'll build it and this is largely because it's so ingrained in traditional web design practices is you know you design something you launch it and then that's kind of it or your design build launch um but that just isn't really enough but that that's a real struggle for ux practitioners going into a business is that there's not a lot of understanding around how involved the process is um, and that that can be quite a shock to people the other thing is developers can see it as kind of that you're questioning their judgment or their ability when really the approach is that you're not you're not questioning that. You're saying that you don't know either. They don't know. The only person that really knows is the user and it's kind of your collective responsibility to find out what they need. So, yeah, that, that's a, a very common issue. Another one is that I think we as founders are very frequently pushed to launch as fast as possible. Yes. There's... A lot of people, I would say, are fairly familiar with the the lean startup ethos. I don't know if you've yes. read that, Nick, but uh, it's, yeah, a, a book popularised by Eric Ries. Um, it's a really, really good book, and it's a, a really great introduction starting point for founders. Uh, I really highly recommend it as a read. It's a, a fantastic book. Um, you may remember, but quite early on in the book, uh, a realisation he, he comes to is that uh, he's simply made a product that his customers don't actually want. It, it's awful. He gets no user base and it's a long and arduous journey to get to the point where he has a viable product. Um, and through the book, he, he kind of advocates for this concept called the the MVP or minimal viable product, which is it's, uh, a concept I believe in also, and I'm sure a lot of other founders and entrepreneurs believe in. Um, for those unfamiliar, a MVP is basically the most stripped back, minimally functional version of your product that can possibly be launched. Uh, this works because then you can build and improve on your basically uh, very average product as you go along um, and it's tempting to simply go by this route and skip the prototyping phase yes. of the UX process um, and uh, Eric Ries kind of does skip that process in his book but it's it's really I, I think some people think that this is the way to go and just to get an MVP live and then you'll do the UX process but it, it's really not the ideal. Um, he spends a lot more time and money and testing and revision and coding and breaking code and fixing code and um, all those different steps along the way. He puts way, way more um, time and energy in than 
he would have had to if he just went through the prototyping phase in the first place. Um, and I think, I, I, in all honesty, I can't remember if he ever actually acknowledges that. He goes into how valuable user experience is um, and how the valuable user experience designers are. Um, but I don't know if he ever really realises that if he'd prototyped and tested before his MVP, um, he, he would have That's had right. a lot less issue overall. So that can be a, a very tempting thing. And I've fallen for that mistake myself in the past. Um, it, it's very easy to say, let's just get something out and, and go from there. Um, but prototyping really does bring a lot to light in advance and it means that you can code right or <laughs> closer to right on, yes. on the first try. Other than that, I'd kind of say what, what we briefly touched on before of only believing that UX is a pre-launch process and not working in the post-launch uh, steps. But it can that, that kind of step can help with all sorts of changes. That, you know, it, it can help with improvements to your product, introducing additional features, if you're going to change a price. Um, basically any case where a decision to make a change is made, that knowledge or that, that process happening in the background makes it informed and a lot easier. And this is really kind of what I'm talking about, how, how business and design and humanity all kind, kind of comes together as one to, yeah, to, to build a product that is really, really valuable to the users. So I guess uh, another thing is not really giving UX the the appreciation or respect it needs um, and not and really underestimating how that can have a big mm. big impact on your business you've given us a really in-depth look at UX and I, I just want to thank you for that because now you know even myself I have a better understanding of UX you know for me it's always been that um, you know I, I was full-on one of those guys that had that misconception about UX and UI so you know you've you've sort of cemented that for me as well i now understand you know ux is a you know multifaceted um, discipline and uh, i have a lot of appreciation for the guys that, that do ux and um you know just you know you mentioned your your business in the beginning uh, the proto process can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah sure i'd love to um so i started the proto process after after my experiences with, with startups in the agency um, because during those phases I was really trying to get into UX myself and it, it was a really, really difficult thing. Um, other people's understanding of it was skewed and my information of it was skewed and I could kind of see products falling apart because it didn't have the good process in place um, of UX. So it was really a very, very hard process to get into the field myself. Um, and this motivated me to want to better inform potential user experience practitioners, um, founders and startups, and even people that just saw the value in having a human-centered approach to, to design and to business um, and be able to help them build those skills in a way that was more structured and easier than what I'd had to go through. Um, so that, that was really the, the starting point for the proto process. Uh, I decided that I was going to 
address this through kind of online courses to get a good introduction or a good uh, foundation of it and then also provide online mentoring. So that kind of emerged later through my UX process actually, but that's what we do now. Um, so we've, we've just recently launched our mentoring program and that basically partners a individual up with a design professional or a UX professional um, and you can just meet with them you arrange it between yourselves and, and find a time that kind of suits and okay. discuss any issues that you're struggling with and, and work on from there. Um, so that's a big part of it. Uh, the underlying value of the proto process is that we care about doing work that will make positive change in the world and having careers and running businesses that are purpose driven. There needs to be a reason why we do things. Mm. Um, and not only that, but also the approach that it needs to be profitable like i'm all for charities I, I really am i think there's a lot of charities out there doing some great work but my passion is business and people and being able to have them coexist in a way where you're creating big social environmental uh, any positive change in a way that generates a profit and is beneficial to everyone is something i really really believe in so that's really uh, the bedrock belief of the proto process very nice. Thanks, Tim. And uh, just finally, uh, how can people find you online? Ah, so you can find me uh, at theprotoprocess.com. Um, I also have a, a fairly active Twitter where I share my thoughts and findings and it's all angled at people starting to learn about user experience design. So that's just at the proto process. Um, and that's pretty much it. Great. Tim, I just want to thank you for your time. You've been... You've been great. You've given us a lot of insight. Thank you again for, for coming on the show and we wish you all the best with the Proto process. Thanks very much, Nick. Thank you for having me. Loved it. Thanks, Tim. You've been listening to the Bleeper Podcast. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast software. For more information, please visit bleeper.io.